What you're looking at here is a dividend growth portfolio. This is my personal one. Over the past year or so, I've made about $753 in dividends. And if I actually go to the amount of holdings that I have in this portfolio, all the different companies I own, and I scroll through this, it might seem like just a big unorganized list of companies, but they actually have things in common. They have a, a few common characteristics between these companies. One of them is that they all pay dividends. And another one is that they all have a history of raising their dividends over time. The average yield of my portfolio is 4.3%, which is considerably higher than like the S&P 500 or most other ETFs that you're going to find. Now, if I go into it, uh, like I said, there's a lot of different holdings, but it becomes a little bit more organized when you break them up into these different sectors. This is how I have them categorized. And I've done some videos where I go over and I pick one of the sectors in my portfolio and I go into it and I show why I purchase these specific companies. And I started this as kind of a series. If you go to my YouTube channel, I actually have a, a playlist called Portfolio Review, where every week I, I pick a different sector and I make a video just like this one that goes over and highlights it. So the previous ones have been consumer ones, uh, real estate ones, and then a financial financial review. And you can go back and look at those videos if you're interested in them. But today I'm going to be going over the industrial sector. That's the one that we're going to be focusing on. Now, the industrial sector is a smaller portion of my overall portfolio. So it's right here at 4%. If you don't know, the way that this is organized is the top to bottom here is organized in a list of what I have the most value in, meaning the most money in, compared to the least amount of money. So up here in real estate, I have $11,000 in. Down here in tech, I only have $1,000. And I'm the one that picked this, this uh, allocation. And a lot of it has to do with a couple different variables. One of them is that the lower ones typically pay less in dividends. Consumers don't pay a whole lot. Industrials pay about 2.5% average. Energy does pay a lot, but the reason I have this one lower is I, I just don't understand energy sector that much, and so I've lowered my exposure to it. And then uh, tech does not pay a lot in dividends as well. The ones that are the heavy hitters that pay a lot of dividends that are really consistent, uh, finance, utilities, and real estate are the ones that I have that make up the lion's share of my portfolio. If you look at this donut chart here off to the left, this isn't for decoration either. This is a visual representation of the portfolio allocation. So like right here, this big chunk, it's highlighting real estate, then bonds, then utilities, so on and so forth. This one that's like this green slice here that's jutting out past the other ones, that means that I have more of this than what my target allocation is. So in tech here, I have a target allocation of 2% of my portfolio, but right now it makes up 3% of my portfolio. What that means is with M1 Finance, you have something called Auto Invest, and it makes it so that when you automatically deposit money, it'll look at your underweight holdings and it will fund those ones before it funds the ones that are overweight. So it tries to get this donut completely even so nothing's jutting out beef, uh, beyond the other ones. And it does that even if you click within each of these pies as well. So I can click in Industrials, and the same thing with the Auto Invest will work as well. And I'll be talking about that that feature a little bit and the different ways to buy companies as well. But regardless, I wanted to go over industrials. Um, like I said, one of the reasons I have this is only 4% of my portfolio. The average yield on this slice is 2.5% compared to my portfolio overall that's 4.3%. And so it does bring down the average yield of my portfolio. But there's another reason too, and that's the level of confidence that I have in my ability to analyze and evaluate these different companies. For instance, when I look at companies like Disney and their streaming services against Netflix, I have what I think is a, a pretty good grasp on their, 
their model, their growth model, their target demographics, the type of things they're trying to do to expand. And I feel like I have an easier time wrapping my head around that. When I go through some of these companies, like I look at United Technologies, and this company sells fighter planes and HVAC systems and sell a variety of things that don't even seem to correlate with each other. 3M has 60,000 products. And they sell everything in every different industry, it seems like. They sell things for healthcare, for manufacturing. They sell a lot of air filters and adhesives and construction things and office equipment. They sell so many different products. And a lot of these companies are like, uh, they're not even like a single company. They're like a, a lot of big companies put together in huge conglomerates. And it makes it so I have a hard time evaluating them and determining whether they're a good buyer or seller or not. Uh, more than I would than companies that I understand the products more. I understand the demographic more. So that is taken into account as well of why I have a lot less exposure to this. In a portfolio of $35,000, I only have $1,400 in this. And I wanted to go through and give you some ideas on my different holdings. I wanted to give you uh, some some ideas of how I'm going to be changing around this allocation. So I know already I'm going to be making adjustments to this, and I'll go through that as well. I actually posted a couple days ago on my YouTube channel here. I have this community feature thing. And so I made a post and all it was was a, a screenshot of my different industrial holdings. And then I asked if you guys wanted to have any questions or any comments. And I got quite a bit of responses. So what I'm gonna be doing is going through all of these at the end of the video as well and answering all of these questions after I go through each of these companies one by one. Now, Boeing is kind of an interesting one. I know if you guys have seen my previous videos, I've talked about them a lot and I've followed the story of their whole, uh, their plane crashes and the MCAS system that failed on them. And if you actually look at their stock, here's the interesting part about it. If I go here and I look at a five-year timeline of Boeing, you can see when they had the incident. Let me zoom into the one-year period here. This is when people became aware that it was, it was kind of Boeing's fault that second plane came down and it dropped to maybe 17% at one point. And then ever since then, it's gone back up and it's leveled out about down 14% of his all-time high. And you might think at first thought, oh, this might be a great time to buy in this, you know, a 15% drop. If you actually look at the five-year though, just since 2017, this company has gone up about over 140%. And so I don't even think with this drop that this is some kind of spectacular deal. Boeing also is facing considerable troubles here. They have all these things about like potential whistleblowers coming out with more information about this. I don't think that this will amount to a whole lot. I actually think that Boeing is fixing most of the issues. From what I can tell, it was just poor design on this MCAS system. And that was the point of failure. If they fix that, I think the planes will be just as safe as any other plane. Now, I do have a, a video clip here of the CEO of Boeing doing somewhat of damage control. But I like that he acknowledges the gravity of the situation. And I want to comment on this after showing you a little bit of it. We at Boeing are sorry for the lives lost in the recent 737 MAX accidents. These tragedies continue to weigh heavily on our hearts and minds, and we extend our sympathies to the loved ones of the passengers and crew on board Lion Air Flight 610 and Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302. All of us feel the immense gravity of these events across our company and recognize the devastation to the families and friends of the loved ones who perished. It's apparent that in both flights, the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, known as MCAS, activated in response to erroneous angle of attack information. As pilots have told us, erroneous activation of the MCAS function can add to what is already a high workload environment. 
It's our responsibility to eliminate this risk. We own it and we know how to do it. We're nearing completion and anticipate its certification and implementation on the 737 MAX fleet worldwide in the weeks ahead. Now, a few important things to highlight from here. One of them is I think that I think they for sure acknowledge the gravity of this situation. For one, if they have another plane come down, they know the implications of that. I think the Boeing uh, engineers and the people working on this are fully aware that if they have another plane come down because of something that they did, because of something like this MCAS system, that it is going to be absolutely disastrous for their company and their stock and their reputation and everything else. So they have everything on the line with fixing this. I don't think that they're going to put the plane back up in the air and have the potential of it going down because of something they did. Um, otherwise, they're jeopardizing the whole their whole company. Another important thing that he highlights in that video, towards the end, he says that he believes that it will be up in the air in the coming weeks. So I think that Boeing will be back on track. They're losing a lot of money right now with all their planes grounded. I believe the 737 MAX made up like 70% of their income for the previous year. It's their, really, it's their earnings power right now. Once they get approval to get that back into the air, they're going to be able to start earning money again. Now, if we actually look at the numbers on Boeing, we look at their dividend history here. They have a pretty incredible dividend growth. So you can see that they did some splits. Then you can see ever since 2014, they've been growing their dividend rapidly. In fact, if I go to dividend growth tab here, 20% last year, they've been averaging about 16% year over year for the past 10 years. In the past five years, they've been averaging 30%. That is really quick dividend growth. Um, and I think that they can certainly maintain their dividend. They have, if I go to the dividends summary here, they have a payout ratio of below 50% right now, which means that they have more than enough money to keep sustaining their dividend. I see Boeing as still a long-term buy. The one risk in them is just having another accident caused by something that they do wrong. If they have another accident caused by something that they've screwed up, then it would be totally disastrous for their company. A lot more than these two, because this is where they've had the planes grounded. They've had time to work on it. They've insured customers that when it comes back up, it'll be safe. If they have another accident because of their fault, it's going to be disastrous for the, the company. I don't think that that will happen. I can't imagine them putting another plane up with everything on the line and whiffing it again like they have with this current system. And so I just can't imagine them having a, a trouble with the same thing again. Now, as far as whether it's like a good buy right now, like I said, looking at this graph, I don't think it's like an incredible buy right now. I mean, it just has been so up in the past two years, it's increased so much that I don't know if it's still an incredible buy. I think that it's okay for a long-term hold. I think it's a good one to have in your portfolio, but I wouldn't say that you're getting any kind of great deal because it's dropped down a little bit in the past few months. Moving on from that, we have UPS, which is actually one of the ones that I'm probably the most negative on in terms of my sentiment towards in my portfolio. In fact, I'm probably going to be adjusting this holding, this slice downwards in allocation so that it makes up a smaller portion of my portfolio. So I'm more just holding it rather than actively contributing more money to it. And I'll go through some of the reasons why. Let's go through some of the numbers first. So if I go here, the dividend scoreboard here, the company has a high starting yield, 3.7%. They have had dividend growth. They paid out consecutively for like 21 years now. So they have a long time. They have a pretty low payout ratio, 52%. And then their dividend growth is about average 7% dividend growth over the past 10 years. So it's not slow, but it's not really a quick dividend growth either. If I go to the dividend history here, you can see pretty decent, right? 
And most of the numbers with UPS are okay. That's not the, the main issue I have with them. I just look at a company that I don't see anywhere else it can really expand or grow. They are a logistics company. They're a delivery logistics company, and they pretty much expanded to to the markets that they're able to. I don't see a lot of growth ahead of them. I think overall investor sentiment is pretty negative on them as well. In fact, if I go over here and I look at these, some graphs here, if I look at UPS for the past five years, you can see that this, I mean, it's gone up and down in between, but if I really look over the five-year timeline here, it's pretty much gone up about 5% over a five-year period. And so I guess you're earning dividends along that time. But if I look at the S&P 500, I go to a five-year period here, you can see that it's grown 56%. And I know that UPS is a pretty safe company in terms that they've had a good history. They've kept their dividends during recessions. They've been able to keep 21 years of consecutive dividends. But I feel like they don't have a lot of growth and they're expected to continue growing their dividends. And the way that you continue growing a dividends is by growing your company. And so I see that they're going to be running into problems in the future, in my opinion. They also have, I mean, we have news of, of new competitors moving into this space. Lots of things are getting into the delivery space. You have Amazon saying it's going to be doing one-day delivery and it's and it's going into logistics as well. We know Amazon is making a big move into logistics and they have the endless money from their investors to be able to do that. UPS, I just think, has a big uphill battle. They have a lot of competitors moving into their space. They're already a huge company that I think is pretty close to its max size of realistic growth that can expect. And so I just have a tough time seeing a super bright future with this company, even though I think it's a, com- a solid company right now. And so that's where I'm at with this one. I'm probably going to be moving this one down in the list. I'll be adjusting it. Either way, I'll let you know when I make changes to my portfolio. Uh, I don't think it's a sell right now. I wouldn't consider it a sell, but I'm just not enthusiastic of having it in my portfolio. Alrighty, next up, United Technologies, UTX. This company, I'm probably the most positive out of all my current holdings in my industrial pie right now. And the reason why is I really really think the business has a good future going forward. Right now, it's a conglomerate. So it has three different companies combined together to form United Technologies. And they're going to be doing a breakup. Now, I've read about this before. In fact, I read about this like a year ago. There's an article here dated back in May 20, 2018. And it's from MarketWatch. It has Bill Ackman, who's a, he's a, uh, what they call an activist investor. So he runs a hedge fund. He manages billions of dollars. And what he'll do is he'll take out a pretty big stake in a company. Like he'll buy like 5 or 6% of the entire company. And what that will do is give him a lot of leverage to be able to try to change leadership or try to implement different policies in the company or changes that he thinks will bring a lot more value to that company. And so he's done that repeatedly. And I know there's kind of the meme that he's uh, he's had troubles in the past, obviously, if you followed him at all. Herbalife was a huge loss for him. He wanted to short the company and explain why it was this huge MLM scheme. And that ended up not working out. The company just wouldn't go down in value. And Carl Icahn kind of propped it up as well. So he's had problems like that. He was way off with Valiant. He's had some, he's had somewhere he's missed and he's had somewhere he's had some pretty big hits as well. Regardless uh, of that and his personal opinion on it, he thinks that these companies would offer more as separate companies. They'd offer more value as separate companies they do combined. And I agree with that. A lot of times you look at these conglomerates and conglomerates for the most part, don't do all that well. There's a few examples of ones that have really done well, like Honeywell's doing okay, Berkshire Hathaway's doing okay, but you saw what happened to GE. 
I think 3M is having trouble right now. These companies that are that just go into every different industry, it's really hard for investors to accurately assign value to them. And one part of this is it says, saying the individual businesses are more likely to trade at fair value as independent companies. And I think that's true. I think that when UTX does break up, which I think is scheduled for like 2020 sometime, that they're going to actually trade closer to book value. I think that it will more likely increase the overall value of them three separate than those three together. I'm glad that they're breaking up. I think the companies will probably operate better. They say that the breakup will cost like a one-time $2 billion expense. And after that, they'll be, they'll be profitable. UTX, let's go into the numbers on it now. If we actually look at the numbers, let me go to the dividend scoreboard here. It has a 2% starting yield, pays out quarterly. They've had dividend growth for 25 years. The payout ratio is pretty low, 41%. That's a pretty low payout ratio. So look at this dividend history. They have an extremely solid history of raising their dividends over time. Um, if you go to the dividend growth here, they have, a, again, an average dividend growth. Over 10 years, it's been 7.7%. They slowed down a little bit. But again, I think it will be good when they separate into three different companies. I think they'll, they'll each end up paying their own dividends. I think that's the plan. They know the investors that have invested them already are expecting that. So I think it would be a mistake for them to not do that. So I'm pretty optimistic with United Technologies in comparison to like UPS. I think United Technologies, I think it's pretty fair value right now. But I feel like it has a much better future in terms of its dividend growth. The dividend safety, I think, is better. I think that it will offer more value when the companies are broken up into three individual companies. So what I plan on doing is the allocation right now, I have set to allocate more of my money to UPS than UTX. I'm probably going to be adjusting that soon. And I'll let you know when I, I make those changes. But another thing is, is UTX, the way that uh, breakups are handled in M1 currently is kind of stupid. Because what happens is when United Technology breaks up and it adds in Otis and Carrier, the two individual companies that's going to be broken into, if you don't actually add those like slices, if you don't go to edit here and then add these slices into your pie, by the end of the day, what will happen is M1 Finance will automatically sell it. That's how their current system works. Now, they know that this isn't the best way to handle things. They're a new company. They're building out a lot of stuff right now, like very rapidly. They have it on their list to do where it will be just like added to the sidelines. The new holdings will be added to the sidelines and then you can set where you want them to be. And they're planning on doing that. I think they're going to be doing that after their M1 spend project. The UTX breakup, I think, is in 2020. And hopefully M1 Finance will have that new system incorporated by then so I don't have to worry about it. Otherwise, I'll have to find the specific day that they break up and then add in Otis and Carrier by the end of the day so that I don't sell those shares. But either way, I think it's a good company. I think they have good dividend growth. Pretty low starting yield in comparison to my portfolio. It's less than half of what my current portfolio is, but I think it's a good dividend growth company. Moving on to UNP. UNP is another one that's probably one of my favorite ones out of this entire sector, a company that I plan on holding for the next 20, 30 years at least. Let me go into the numbers before I jump into it. Dividend scoreboard here, we have a starting yield of 2%. Their payout ratio is really low, 40%. And then next year, that's expected to move downwards, like to 38%. So they have a super low payout ratio, which means they have a lot of free cash. Their dividend growth for the past 13 years. And then I think they've been paying dividends consecutively for the past 21 years. If I actually go to the dividend history here, take a look at this. So you can see the amount that they've increased their dividends just over the past 10 years is pretty insane. In fact, if I go to the dividend growth tab here, you can see the past 10 years average, 
20% increase year over year for 10 years straight. Last year, they increased at 23.22%. That is incredible incredible increase in dividend. If we go over to the yield on cost here, then we go to the past 10 years, the people that bought shares of this company 10 years ago, they're earning a yield on cost of 15%, meaning for every $100 that they spent on those shares, they're making $15 a year in dividends. And that is pretty incredible. But I think there's other things to like about this company as well. Besides the fact that they have a pretty stable business, they own the most railroad systems in all of the United States, uh, they have a really large moat. I don't think that there's other competitors that just can come out of nowhere and create an entire thousands of miles of railroad system. So I don't see that happening anytime soon. The type of thing they're moving is not really the type of thing that just trucks and automated things like trucks and automated vehicles can move. They're moving so much weight that most of these vehicles aren't able to compete with them. So UMP has a huge moat. I think that they're a super stable business. They've been aggressively trying to reward their investors by raising dividends. So it's a company I like. I think that they're pretty fairly valued. Even though that the share price has shot up over the past five years, their PE ratio is still really low. So they have a 21 PE ratio. They have tons of free cash flow to continue raising their dividend. This is probably one that I'm going to be bumping up in my portfolio a little bit. Now the one everybody's been waiting for, 3M. This is one that has been in the news a lot recently. It's, it's one of those stocks that every dividend investor knows about because they have such a huge dividend history and they've, they're they one of those ones that's in all the list of aristocrats and, and whatnot where they've been increasing their dividend for like 50 years plus or whatever. There's a lot of people that might be on the sidelines and they're saying, well, should I buy the dip? You know, that type of thing. I'm going to go over all of that and give you my broader opinion on this. Because when I look at 3M, I see a massive company. They sell 60,000 products. And there's a lot of news. Like if we go over here, 3M plans to cut 2,000 jobs as its sales fall. China and Japan buy fewer products used to make cars and electronics. Stock stumbles 13%. They're down about 14% since those really poor sales numbers came out. And a lot of people, because uh, 3M sells so many different products across so many different industries... They consider 3M kind of a weather vane or like an indicator for the broader economy. But you look over here, and the U.S. economy grew 3.2% the first quarter of 2019, which is an incredibly good growth rate for first quarter. We haven't had one like that in a very long time. And so I don't think that the issues that 3M is having, I don't think they can blame that on the economy. I don't think it's an indicator of the economy. I think that they must have some really big structural problems. They're trying to figure them out. And I think it might happen for a long time. In fact, let me go over to this clip here. There's an analyst. His name is Steven Tusa. And he's one of the JP Morgan analysts that was negative on GE. And he highlighted all these different structural problems they had. He's the one that downgraded their stock. And, and his downgrades have a lot of impact. They actually move the stock a little bit when he downgrades them. But he received a lot of criticism because at a point where GE was like $20 or $25 or $30, and people were deciding whether they wanted to buy the dip because it had recently fallen, he said the stock's going to go to $5. And a lot of people mocked him when it didn't move right away. Well, the stock kept falling and falling, proving him right on his analysis. Now, we can hear a little bit of what he thinks about the 3M situation because he's an expert on analyzing these industrials. In a perfect world, kind of best bull case scenario on 3M, it's both uh, growthy and it's defensive. But I think what the results today in the last several quarters um, have shown is that it's neither. It is definitely, as per today, not defensive with the type of um, deleveraging we saw. 
Okay, so he says two things there. That the way that people are attracted to a company like 3M is because of two different aspects. That they're like either they have a lot of growth that they're expanding into different industries. And he says it's not that, that 3M has been a laggard for the past three years. It hasn't really expanded along with other companies that are like Honeywell, for instance. He thinks Honeywell on the other side is a good buy right now, is his opinion on it. And he says that people that view 3M as this kind of like defensive consumer staple like in that area of where if the broader economy goes down 3m will be well he's saying that a company that is down over 10 percent a single day when it has a bad earnings report is not a defensive company that's not one that you can count on to keep your that to keep your capital if it runs into any issues and i agree on that if i look at the graph here you go to 3m stock and for the past five years it hasn't moved a whole lot you go to it 35 percent if you actually look since 2017, since 2017, it's up 7%. And then it had a, it hit its high in 2018. If we go in and see this recent drop, since this earnings report came out, it's down 12%. Now, he goes on in this clip, and he pretty much says that he thinks it's going to be a long time until 3M is able to restructure itself. So we can listen. Um, you know, this company, uh, I don't think, has it in the tank. And ultimately, that means it should be at a rather significant discount uh, to the group, uh, especially um, to a name like Honeywell that we're recommending on the other side of this pair. It's interesting what he's saying. He's pretty much saying that 3M is right now being still valued as a premium valuation, that it's a premium company when he thinks that it should be currently valued at a discount. And so he's giving it an underweight rating. He's saying if we go into it, Right now, the current share price is 195 and he has a target price set to 154 on it. So he thinks that it's significantly overvalued of where it's going to be, that it should be valued at a discount rate because the, the changes, the structural changes are going to have to be doing are going to take some time to do that. Now, I don't know if he's going to be right on that. Judging by his history, I mean, he was right on the last pretty much really big call that he did. And so there is some level of credibility there. I wouldn't totally discount the concerns that he has with 3M. As far as I'm concerned in my portfolio, I think 3M is a company I don't plan on. Again, I usually sell companies only if I see them in total decline, never being able to recover. Their entire business model is just going out. I don't see that with 3M. I don't see it with UPS. These are companies that I plan on holding, but I don't want to aggressively keep funding them. I'm just going to use the shares that I currently have, have those keep paying me dividends, and have those dividends fund companies that I think have a little bit brighter of a growth path. I think 3M can restructure itself like Honeywell did and come out on top, but that will probably take a long time. So it's not one that I would recommend buying on this, this dip. Next up, we have Lockheed Martin. This is a company that makes missiles and aeronautic systems and planes for the government. They get most of their money from like Department of Defense and contracts with the government. Like when I'm analyzing this company in a qualitative approach, I would say that the biggest risk for them comes with spending that the government decides to do on defense. And so if a new politician comes in, and they're like radically against war or whatever, that's their platform. And a big part of their platform is removing spending on the Department of Defense. They'll probably make it so that, that Lockheed Martin is not able to get nearly as big of contracts with the government to develop these new systems. And that is probably the single biggest threat to this company. If we actually look into the numbers, the numbers are really good. They have a starting yield of 2.6%. They've been growing their dividend for 16 years. They have a pretty low payout ratio, 48%. And then they have really good dividend growth. If you look at the dividend growth tab here, the last 10 years average, they've grown their dividends 16% year over year. 
So that's a really fast dividend growth. If I go to the dividend history here, you can see this chart. It's an amazing looking chart for dividend growth investor. It's exactly what you want to see. You're going to get a lot of yield on cost if you invested in this 10 years ago. So this is a company that I like having in my portfolio. I always think that we're going to allocate some money to, to defense. Even I can't imagine how radical of a president we'd have to have to have really no military spending um, because I don't think anybody would let that happen. But I could see some significant cutbacks in spending, and that might hurt Lockheed Martin. So again, I think the biggest risk is political, but I don't think it's big enough a risk to not hold it. I think that we're always going to be spending money on that. As long as we have other countries that pose threats, I think anybody that's running our country is going to want us to have defenses. That's, uh, that's about it for Lockheed Martin. Moving on to waste management. This is a company that everybody loves because it's so, I mean, it's like toll bridge, right? Everybody has garbage. They need to remove the garbage. That's what waste management does. If I go into the description here on them, Waste Management ranks as the largest integrated provider for traditional solid waste services in the United States, operating in roughly 250 active landfills and more than 300 transfer stations. The company serves residential, commercial, and industrial end markets and is also the leader recycler, 10% of revenue in North America. And so they are a boring, unsexy uh, company that all they do is they collect garbage and they dispose of it. And for dividend growth investors, I mean, that's a good company. If I look at the numbers on this, we'll go to their dividend scoreboard, starting yield at 2%, long history of increasing dividends, 16 years, their payout ratio is below 50%. And let's look at their dividend growth. They've grown 5.6% over the past 10 years, year over year, which is a, a pretty average, maybe a little even below average, but they're a pretty stable company. They don't need to grow their dividend that fast to attract investors. And they have been pretty solid in, in doing this. So you look at this graph, again, this is what you want to see as them growing their dividend year over year. You get that yield on cost. Uh, I think waste management is a great company to have. This is a company that I've always been happy to have in my portfolio. I've actually gotten probably the, look at that, the best returns on it, 22% up right now. And it's one that I'll probably be bumping up as I'm going forward. I just like their business. I think it's one that they have a sizable moat. I think it's a business that they can continue to expand. And so I think it's a good business stone. And last up is Caterpillar, the construction vehicle manufacturer. Let's go into the description here real quick. Uh, Caterpillar is the iconic manufacturer of heavy equipment, power solutions, and locomotives. It is currently the world's largest manufacturer of heavy equipment with approximately 16% of the global market share in 2017. So Caterpillar only owns 16% of the global market share. I think that they can continue to gain on that market share. One of the things, if we go into the numbers here, the dividend scoreboard, Caterpillar has a 2.5% uh, dividend yield starting. They've only grown their dividend for two years. And that's one of the things that they do is they, they kind of have an odd dividend growth rate. Like they'll freeze it sometimes and just like increase it a little bit and then increase it a lot. It's, it's more of a sporadic increase. They have a low payout ratio of 30%. If we look at the dividend history here, going to this tab, it's generally speaking what we want to see, but they've had a couple years where they just have been flat on it. I don't think that that's too big of an issue. It's a company that I understand their product. They own, they still have a growth path ahead of them. They have a low payout ratio. And I think right now as it stands, they have a very safe dividend. I don't think that they're in, in any kind of trouble of cutting or slashing their dividend in the future. So it might be a slower growth rate than most other companies, but I like that they're a solid business. They have growth path ahead of them and they have a pretty stable dividend. So it's a company that I plan on keeping in my portfolio for the long term. That's it with going through each of them. Now what I'll do is go through the YouTube comments and respond to some of your guys' input.
Again, I made this community post on YouTube, asked if you guys had any questions on this sector in specific, and a lot of you gave some good comments and good questions. So I'll just go through them one by one and try to answer most of them here. The first one's by Bao. He says, why would someone invest in the industrial sector? Is it because of the dividends or something else? That's a good question. There's some pros and cons of it. For a dividend growth investor, a lot of these companies, you're looking for low turnover. So a lot of like hot tech startup companies, sure, you can make money. You can go in and bet on one of the companies and they can double in size and you can double your money. But you're pretty much going to have to be doing that type of that type of investing over and over again for 30 years. And that's a lot of upkeep for a portfolio to continually learn about all these new companies constantly be evaluating them and then betting on them and hoping that they grow double the size with these companies industrials they have a really long shelf life typically most of these companies have been around 20 30 plus years and so for a dividend growth investor that's what you want is just companies that are around for a long time just continually pay you cash flow and have really low turnover and that's uh, one of the biggest benefits of the industrial sector next question i'll answer is John Jones, he says, out of the eight positions you have industrials, which two are you the most bullish on considering their current price? Alrighty, well, I kind of went over which ones I think are the most bullish on. I would have to say it'd be a battle between United Technologies, UNP, and Boeing at this point. I know Boeing has had its troubles. They recently had this second plane crash. I just can't imagine them putting another plane in the air and having it crash to the same mistakes. Like if that happens, I know that this clip will get highlighted or whatever, um, and that will prove me wrong. But I mean, their whole company's reputation depends on them fixing this issue. And so I do not think that they're going to put any planes in the air from the 737 Maxes that have any chance of coming down from the same issue. They know that it would be totally destructive to the company. And meanwhile, you have a company that has pretty much a duopoly. They have Boeing and they have Airbus. I know China's entering the game with airplanes soon, but I think Boeing's one of the ones that I'm still really optimistic on. I think that when people forget about these crashes, time moves on, other news comes out, that they will continue to thrive. And the other two that I'm probably the most bullish on are uh, United Technologies and UMP for the other reasons that I listed out there. Moving on to the next question. We have just buy waste management and forget about it. Honestly, probably not bad advice. Like I said, this is a company where you don't have to do much. They have a very unsexy business, super stable, super easy to understand. They just dispose of garbage. And it's a, it's a great one for a dividend growth investor. Next one is from Kevin. This one, he says, do you just let M1 invest automatically all the time? Or are there certain situations where you would buy specific stocks individually, case in point 3M after the drop in price? I guess also if you could explain how M1 invests your money and whether it's better to allow M1 to invest your money or if it's better to buy individual equities as you see fit. Okay, so this one, I know that M1 is a little bit different than most brokers. And I went over this at the beginning of the video. But what most people say of like buying the dip M1 will do automatically for you. I have all these individual holdings. I set the allocation of all of them. I set the allocation of the sector. And then in each of these sectors, I set the allocation of the specific holding within that sector. Now, these pies show which ones are underweight and overweight. In fact, if I go to the value tab here, you can see that this says it's underweight by $288. So I know that the real estate sector to be in the same allocation that my portfolio wants it to be in, I need another $288 deposited into real estate. 
And M1 Finance knows that for each of these sectors. And what it will do is automatically funnel money into the companies that are underweight. So if you have an instance like this where I have my portfolio, I have 3M that has a current price drop. I can click into this. And 3M right now is underweight by $20. Considering this is a pretty small holding for me, but it's saying it's underweight, meaning that future deposits will be funneled into this company until it's back up to its allocation. Because for me, it dropped down $9 and that made it more underweight. And so future deposits with AutoInvest are gonna make this back up to its normal allocation. And so I think for the most part, just your day-to-day -day fluctuations with price, that M1 Finance does a good job of directing your money towards the companies that have dropped in price, not the ones that have gone up in price. Now, there are situations, like with 3M or other companies, where I think that the price dropped not just as a day-to-day -day fluctuation, but for legitimate concerns for the far-term future, not just for the near-term future. I think that 3M is going to have problems that might span into the next couple of years. And so in those situations, what I might do is I might go into the edit tab here, and then I might bump 3M's percentage down and then bump up the other percentage so that M1 doesn't direct my future cash flow into it. Then when I think that 3M has bottomed out in price, I think that it's back to where it's fairly, uh, fairly valued, I will go back up and up allocation here so that M1 will direct future cash flow into it. So that's how I, I handle that. There's not too many situations where I'll just go and do an individual buy and sell. There's not too many situations where I do that. Next question is from Scoopy. He says, with Amazon bringing in one day delivery, it will in turn affect UPS. Why continue investing in UPS? That's a good question. I think I mentioned Amazon in UPS. My outlook for UPS, again, is not very positive. If I go into it, I plan on bumping UPS down. I think that they've hit a pretty big growth I don't think that they're going to be growing that much more. Amazon does pose, I think, a legitimate threat to it. And I think overall investor sentiment is not great with UPS. I don't think that it'll gain a whole lot in the future. Next question is from Andrew A. He says, would you shift a lot of your bonds into stocks if the market collapsed? All right. So here, if I go to my overall portfolio, I have 20% of my portfolio in bonds. And it's true that these are a way to store a lot of money that still makes you some good income still it's fixed income so it's still paying me out monthly if i go into this pie you can see that it's split pretty much 50 50. this half is treasury bonds in an etf and this half is investor grade corporate bonds and so these pay me out monthly and i've made 77 dollars in dividends and then the price of these etfs have gone up a little bit but i could a lot of the strategies have some money on the side so that if we do hit a huge recession I'll have capital be able to shift from the bonds pie into the rest of them. That makes the assumption that for you during this recession that we're having, everything is going good. I don't think people, when they analyze the value of bonds, they don't analyze them fully. All they do is they just say, oh, okay, over a 10 year period, they don't give you as good of returns as equities. So just ignore bonds altogether. Equities are a better investment tool, but bonds serve in a couple different ways. One of the ways is, is they give you some peace of mind because they help the ebbs and flow of the market. When the market goes crazy up or crazy down, your portfolio still goes up and down, just not quite as much. Another way is that they give you a sense of security so that if we did have a recession and it affected your employment, if you became unemployed, um, during that recession, your portfolio is likely to have dropped a lot because the same reason that you lost your job, the economy suffering, probably going to affect all your different companies that you have. All of them have probably gone down in value, but your bonds are going to keep their value. They might even go up because in a recession, usually those more stable fixed incomes go up in value. So it gives you peace of mind knowing that if you 
are having trouble with employment in the future, that you have those bonds that are going to keep their value. You can sell them and you didn't lose money on those sales. The other benefit of bonds is if there is a company that did have what you believe is a completely temporary price cut, something that's not going to affect it in the long-term future, you can sell these bonds and use that money to allocate back into those companies. And so I plan on using it for all three different ways. If we do have a big recession and I remain gainfully employed during it and things are just good for me, but the prices of the rest of these equities have dropped, for sure I'm going to be shifting a lot of those bonds into equities so I can ride the wave back up. Now, if I do have problems with employment or whatever, nobody can see the future, right? I have them as a security benefit there as well. So they serve multiple purposes, but I certainly think it can be used as money on the sidelines that can be invested if we see a discount on different holdings. Next question is from TechWorks. He says, love to hear your take on 3M's recent price collapse. There's actually a couple of questions on this. From Gunblazer says, obligatory 3M comment here. And there's a few more. I'm not quite as bullish, I think, as most people will be. There's some people that they love 3M, has that rich dividend history. It's on all those lists of the dividend growth companies. And they're just looking for reasons to invest in it. And this price drop is just one of them. I have my concerns. I kind of agree with the JP Morgan analyst on this, that they might have some serious structural problems. I think they're still trading at somewhat of a premium and not a discount where they should be. So I don't think it's the worst company to invest in by any means. I plan on still holding them, but it's not one that at least I would recommend just going out and putting a lot of money into right now. The last question is from K97. It says, love to hear what you think of United Tech breakup and Honeywell as well. I'm pretty positive on these breakups. I think that it's good when these companies that are really hard to analyze because they have multiple different businesses and different industries, when they break up and you're able to evaluate them. Uh, So I think it will add value when UTX breaks up. And I think the same thing with Honeywell. Alrighty, well, that's going to be all the questions. Uh, Hopefully this gives you some ideas. If you're investing in the industrial sector, you're looking at different companies. Hopefully this gives you some ideas and a place to start. I'm going to be doing videos in the future. So if you haven't subscribed, hit the subscribe button. Uh, I'm following a lot of different stories right now. Uh, One of the things I'm commenting on in the next video is Elizabeth Holmes' first court appearance. And that is just, I mean, she is a, a weirdo. This story is kind of funny. I'll be talking about that in the next video as well as uh, update on my portfolio, how it's performing, the dividend updates and the expected income for the month, all that type of stuff. I'll talk to you guys next time. You have a good one.